Hey everybody, it's Jacob Newton here, professional hockey player and mental health coach, advocate, all of the above. My good buddies over at Sports Epreneur and I did a podcast together about a year ago. And ever since then, we've been keeping in touch, creating content podcasts now. So if anybody out there is interested in doing the same, having their own podcast or want some type of content creation, don't hesitate to reach out to those guys at Sports Epreneur. They are willing and able to help you out. And after listening, don't hesitate in leaving a review. And then you'll get much more access to all of my content across the Sports Epreneur platform. I'm going to lead it right into my guest to allow her to introduce herself. Hello, my name is Dr. Tamsin Astor, and I'm the chief habit scientist, international speaker and author. I help people exponentially improve their productivity by teaching them a few key habit shifts. And what I teach is so powerful that the small business owners, the doctors, the lawyers, the mothers, the workers that I have engaged with show massive shifts and improvements in their personal and their professional lives. Mm, wow. Well, uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for, for joining me here today. I know through all the craziness, I think people's schedules are a little bit more open, but it sounds like, you know, potentially you've been able to really build yourself up in this situation based on our conversation prior to hitting that record button. So what is life looking like for you now with, with the current COVID-19 situation? Well, so I'm super busy work-wise because I teach people habits. And one of the things that I think people are getting really clear about here is whether or not they have habits in place that serve them and habits in place that are working. Mm. Um, and habits are built together to create routines. And when you are in your own personal space all day long, and if you're not used to working from home, it becomes clear whether you have routines in place that work for you. And also the issue of boundaries and transitions is really coming up too. So, you know, do you have clear physical boundaries around the different parts of your life when you're working from home, right? So the whole like in your pajamas, laptop in bed, yeah, that's not, that's not going to boost your productivity, babe, right? Yeah. Um, and then also the boundaries around the different roles you embody, you know, as a parent, as a partner, as an employer, as an employee, and are you navigating effectively between those and creating healthy transitions between these different roles that you embody? So one of the things that I've really seen in the last seven weeks during this period of COVID and quarantine is are you managing those things? And if you're not, then you're going to start really struggling. If you don't have a clear baseline of those sorts of key intentional habits, that's what I call them in place. Yeah. Okay. Well, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what, what is, let's say, you know, does a person need to do or what, what's like the process look like before they reach out to you or once they do what, what happens from there? Um, is it, is it weekly calls or every week or is that based, you know, per, per client that you're working with? So I have a couple of different models that I work with clients, but I usually like to work with clients for six months because the work I do is intimate and long-term and involves three main components. So the first component is the vision piece. So that's what I call a telescope. Where do you want to go? What is the vision you have for your life? How is the vision for your life coinciding with and melding with the vision that your business has or your employer has and or your you know the key people in your life if you have a husband or a wife or children so what does that look like mm. tying that then to what i call the microscope which is your daily habits right what are you doing on a daily basis to get you there right and then using a lot of mindset tools to keep you on track so that mm. you are keeping those daily habits and actions in place to get you to the place that you want to go. Okay. 
Okay. And what, what type of people are you? And again, I don't, you know, specific to clients and you don't need to relate, you know, deep information, but what types of people from what top, you know, walks of life, you know, nurses, doctors, musicians, athletes, anything, what, you know, what, what are you coming across with the, the current work you're doing? So I, the kind of people I generally work with are people who are in pain. Mm. They, uh, they, they have a vision of their life and they don't know how to get there. Mm. Or they have had a, what I call like a come to Jesus moment, right? So they've had pre-diabetes, a partner has said to them, you know, you're never there, you're not present. One of their kids has said, you never show up at my hockey game, right? Mm. So they may have had one of the, their bosses, bosses said, like, you're like, you're scattered, you're, you know, you're losing productivity. So they either had a come to Jesus moment, they're in pain and they don't know how to get on back back on track again mm. or they're in that kind of is this really all there is yeah i get up i work i drink wine i fall asleep in front of netflix i go to sleep i get up and i do it again and i do it again and i do it and surely life is supposed to be more fun more pleasurable more joyful what yeah. the fuck happened yeah. <laughs> right yeah. so it's generally people who like if they're not in pain they're not going to do the work mm. Right. And it sounds like the latter of the two that you had just mentioned, even that second place of, of it is a realization, I believe that this person's going through, but it's, yeah, that moment of, holy fuck, is this it? Is this all I'm on this beautiful earth to do is to essentially live somebody else's dream, right? right. Come home, right. drink myself out of the pain that I'm enduring, mm -hmm. you know, aware of it or not, right? And then just falling asleep in, in Netflix, you know, which right. I there's so many people are currently doing with this situation, right? Right, right, There's that, it's that numbing behavior. And, you know, for some people, they, this, this period has been incredibly insightful. So I led a webinar today talking about how you can use this time right now to shine a light on what's working and what's not working mm. and make some changes, right? So what do you notice you're doing, right? Are you, in relationships that are serving you and that are lifting you up, right? Because we're the average of the five people we spend our time with. You know, are you spending time with people and thinking, the fuck am I spending time with you? Like you have such a negative mindset, right? And you don't take any personal responsibility or radical acceptance of your own experience. I don't want to be around you, you know? Or goodness me, when I get stressed, I have a tendency to numb it out with sugar or with scrolling through Twitter or, you know, fill in the blank, right? Or, you know, for, you know so use this time to, to reflect deeply on who you are and how you're showing up and what your habits reveal about you because 90% of our self-care behaviors are habits. Mm. And over half of what we do every day at work and in life are habits. And habits by their very nature are automated by our brains, which means we stop thinking about them. We stop noticing them. They're just on autopilot, right? So take this time to go, hmm. Exactly that, exactly. And what are, what are, what are um, because I find myself, um, and I wanted to speak about this before we hit the record button, because there's many people out there that don't know that Tamsin and I are good friends, and we spoke at an event together last summer, and that was incredible. And uh, I find myself in another crazy scenario of, you know, getting myself into a relationship, moving into a home, and then boom, now that's all gone. And now I'm in a situation where I now have to grab my two kids and move again one month after moving into this beautiful home. 
So I think through that, I can choose, right, to be resistant to what life is bringing me, or I can choose to be in acceptance. So I'm saying this to lead into my next question. How are the people coming to you when you maybe suggest some of these different things that they could potentially try to tinker with their routines, their habits a little bit? Are they resistant to it probably initially or accepting of it? What, what does that look like? So, I mean, a part of it is, you know, one of the things actually, I was, I just had my first um, call with a new client, literally just before you and I got on the call. And one of the things that I do with my clients is I get them to do this big, deep review of, of what their life look, they want their life to look like. Mm -hmm. And I use this yogic framework, which includes things like pleasure, because I think it's really important to prioritize pleasure and not have pleasure as a reward for like checking the box, <laughs> right? Of doing uh -huh. the stuff you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, you know, she said, she's, I said, how are you feeling? She said, I'm feeling fearful. Mm. And I said, you know, fear is excitement, but without the breath, <laughs> right? Yeah. So breathe. So we worked through the breathing and we worked through the exercise and I broke it down and chunked it down. And by the end of the course, she's like, oh, I feel so good. So, I mean, one of the things about it is you have to be willing to, you know, look under the hood, right? So I'm a Buddhist and I think of Buddhism as a philosophical approach to life. And one of the key tenets of Buddhism is obstacle as path. So you can't go over it. You can't go around it. You can't go and you just got to go right through it. Right. And so if you want to change your life, you have to start by going, okay, I'm going to take radical acceptance for my life and for my experience. And I think one of the things why people feel so stressed right now is uncertainty. And most people are not comfortable with uncertainty because it's so stressful and you can't control it. So what do you have to do? Take control of what you can control, which you and I've had lots of conversations about this, right? The mind, take control of your mind, right? Like that's where you're going to have that impact, right? Yeah, it's, that's, that's fascinating you say that. I was speaking with, uh, you know, the guest that joined me yesterday, um, and he said that in terms of like mental health in our minds, when we're in the past, we're in a state of depression, and when we're in the future, we're in a state of anxiety. So yeah. what does that tell us, right? We need to be in the middle. We need to be in the present moment. And when we're outside of that, we're out mm -hmm. of balance, and our life is going to fall accordingly right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's great to hear about all the beautiful, beautiful things that you're doing. And I'm sure that you will continue to do and the beautiful connections that I'm sure you are cultivating through this beautiful work, right? Um, but I, next, what I wanted to get into is more of the mental health stuff. Um, maybe personally, if you'd be willing to share I, again, throughout the conversations we've have, had over the course of the last year, two years, you've shared some about your, your story, about your journey and what your life looks like and looked like in the past. So if you'd be willing, you know, I know you've had some surgeries that you've dealt with. I know obviously the first day we met, you were my yoga instructor, you know, <laughs> and I believe maybe I'm wrong. Are you able to continue doing yoga now or teaching? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, um, I have experienced certain traumas and I think, you know, so I, um, I've had, you know, multiple surgeries. I've had, um, I've been rear-ended twice and dealt with chronic pain. I've had a herniated disc. Um, I've been stalked. I've had my business hacked. Um, and uh, I've had my business bank account hacked. So I've had a certain number of, you know, things that can rock your boat, right? And that can really derail you. And a couple of things that have come out of that for me. 
One is that um, resilience is really, really key and learning the skills for resilience. And I heard a really beautiful metaphor recently for really understanding what that looks like, which is the bathtub. And if you have intentional practices in place that allow the bathtub to drain every single day, when something like COVID happens, when something traumatic happens, like you have to move, a relationship ends, you know, something, something that kind of (laughs) that hits you, you have those practices in place so that you can drain the bathtub even more quickly than maybe you're doing it on a regular basis. Mm. If, however, you have not cultivated those intentional practices, when that bathtub is full, there's a tsunami of liquid added to it, it's going to overflow, right? And you're not going to be in a good place. So what I've learned through my own experiences is that there are tools out there, right? And if you cultivate those tools in an intentional way, I, when you are not under a huge amount of stress, so they are deeply automated, so they're deeply embedded, so you have access to them and you know that these are the things that are going to make you feel better. Mm. Then when the shit hits the fan, you can dial that stuff up because you know you've got them there. You know how they serve you, right? And so there are some things that we know are suitable and important and, and I would say vital for everybody's mental health, like meditation. Yeah. Meditation is something that so many people kind of like, they don't see the immediate initial benefit, you know? So it's kind of like, I'm going to put that up. Meditate. I have a whole damn chapter in my book on meditation because it's so important. You know, it boosts immunity. It changes your DNA. It changes particularly for anxiety. It modulates the relationship between the amygdala and the frontal cortex. Mm. So the amygdala, we actually have two, it's amygdala, the two just little little nubs just above the ear. And they're associated with fear, right? The fight flight. You may have heard it like the amygdala hijack, right? You're probably familiar with that, yeah, right? Yeah. So just 12 minutes a day will modulate the relationship between your amygdala and your frontal cortex. Mm. But so it'll pacify that, ang- that anxiety, that anxious reaction, right? Yeah. So, you know, my personal journey has really, you know, I have the kind of Brene Brown approach. Like I get slapped down, I got my face down in the arena and I kind of sit there and go, okay, like, how did I get here? What does the view look like from around here? What am I gonna learn? about how I got here so that I don't do that again. And then what tools am I going to learn? And then how, um, so in the human design model, I love learning about who I am from multiple different, like, you know, like the Gallup strengths, human design, Jyotish philosophy, like all of the different ways of it. In human design, I'm a projector. So I'm somebody who talks and connects verbally. Mm. So I then go, okay, I need to share this with people. I'm going to articulate my pain and my journey, and I'm very—I mean, you know that about me. I, I, there's nothing I won't talk about, right? Yeah. I'm not frightened of my own experience and my own—you um, uh, know—what I've gone through. So I then use that as a way of helping people say it's okay to have gone through this, mm. and this was my experience, and these tools got me there. Right. And and how would you say? through your experience, it has allowed you to be so much more mentally available for the clients that you're working with. Because, you know, I, for myself, I went through, you know, two, three years of therapy and that was incredible for me. It was instrumental for me at that point in my life. And without it, I don't know if I'd be able to sit here and have this conversation with you, but I do believe I've gained and I've grown and I've healed so much more by myself through my own life experiences and the realization that I can be in control of my own life. And 
everything that has happened has been a consequence of my decisions and nobody else's. So again, um, through the experiences that you've had, this self-love that you've been able to cultivate for yourself, how do you think that has helped you to be more relatable with the people that you are working with? Well, I think first you have to, you know, know thyself if you're going to serve others right. and serving others, I believe doesn't work deeply and won't work deeply if you don't work on yourself. Mm. And I had that modeled for me as a child. My father is a psychoanalyst, a Jungian analyst. So I grew up in a home with a father who, you know, was in therapy himself, was seeing clients from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day, you know, was deeply embedded his, in his own personal and professional development around being the best analyst he could be and supporting those around him and training people to be analysts. So I grew up in a home where that model was deeply embedded in who I was and how I showed up. So I know that if I'm going to serve as a parent, as a friend, as a, as a coach and a mentor, as a writer, as a speaker, that I need to work on my own shit, right? Like it's not going to work if I sit there and go, la, 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 <laughs> you right. know, I look in, right? Cool. And I think that's key to this work, right? Is you have to be willing to like look at yourself and, you know, do that work so then you can show up. And I think one of the things that the current world through social media and a kind of openness to vulnerability that we've moved into is that sharing your personal journey reveals to people that you've struggled. Mm. And I think to me, that is really a really key part of this, right? So, you know, I don't want to you know, be coached by somebody in a field who hasn't got experience in that, who hasn't understood it, right? So, you know, when I first started writing and coaching, you know, I meditation is really important. It does this to your brain. Yet nobody really engaged with my content. Mm. When I sat there and said, my four-year-old daughter has just come home from her daddy's house just after we divorced. She's really missing daddy's new girlfriend. And she's crying on my lap about how much she misses daddy's new girlfriend. I am going to meditate so I don't stick a fucking fork in my eye. <laughs> that is a skill yeah. that is going to help me navigate this incredibly painful experience that I'm going through. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you give that kind of vulnerability and you go, I'm in pain, I've been in pain. I know what it's like to be where you're at, but let me help you. Mm, That's right. what, that's, I think, is part of it, right? Or not part of it, is it, <laughs> right? Well, that, and again, that is it. And I think it's such an important thing for people to truly understand that when you make that choice to go and speak with somebody, whether it be yourself, whether it be me, or whether it be a, you know, a licensed therapist, to, again, I think there's a lot of times where people have that disconnect, where they can't put their finger on why they didn't connect with this therapist. But I would imagine that a lot of it is because subconsciously we pick up on energy we can sense these things and a lack of authenticity is going to be coming our way right so again for anybody listening let's make sure we're doing our research on who it is we're putting ourselves out there to because mm -hmm. that is such a big moment for so many and if this person isn't ready and they respond or react in a negative state this one person this was such a monumental moment for their life and it's just shut them down completely from ever maybe going towards that healing path again, right? Totally, totally, uh -huh. totally. And being open to, open to that. And I think, you know, it's very easy to get stuck in one or the other. So I think, you know, just based on what you said, I think one of the things that's been really interesting to me, you know, I'm a nerdy academic by training, mm -hmm. and it's very easy for me then to base 
my decisions based on the numbers and the facts. And one of the things that women particularly are trained out of from a young, early age is their gut, is their intuition, is that this doesn't feel quite right. This guy's looking at me in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable. This person said something that makes, you know, and allowing that deep intuitive feel, which I know you as an athlete, like totally can like relate to is that intuitive feeling of like, what's going to happen next? Where do I need to look? What do I need to avoid? And allowing that to be considered a valid source of information Mm -hmm. for the decisions you make is also really, really key, I think. Well, and I think, and I think you could speak on this maybe a, a bit deeper than I can, but our gut, our gut health is almost everything for us nowadays. It's, it's heart, our heart, our soul, and then gut health, right? And I think they're starting to link so many of these illnesses due to, you know, low gut health, you know, people not taking care of themselves, whether it be mentally or the things that they're consuming, the things that we're putting on our skins, it all gets in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so now where I wanted to go in, and again, you're free to share as much as you'd like. Um, I myself being a father, uh, divorced, I know you're a mother of children, right? Divorced as well. Um, but I, I remember again, going back to a conversation that we had had last summer, I think it was our very first few conversations. And again, you sharing that your son, I believe, uh, had cancer a yeah. year ago. Uh, I would yeah. like if you could to speak on what that, because again, there's so many parents out there that have had that happen to them and so many thoughts probably creep into our minds. What was happening for you when that, you know, that diagnosis was, was laid upon your son and yeah, what, what, what was happening for you? I could only imagine. Um, go ahead. So in 2008, my younger son, who was then two, um, ended up in the ER three times in the space of one summer. And the third time, uh, after seven hours of testing, my ex-husband had gone home and it was about 11 at night and he was finally asleep. And the nurse came into the room and said, the pediatric oncologist wants to talk to you, Mm. which is not what you wanna hear. So I walked into the hallway and this sweet, gentle, older man looked like with really kind eyes, looked me in the eyes and said, I'm so terribly sorry, your son has cancer. and my first thought was breathe, inhale, exhale. Like right now, I've just got to remember to breathe because, you know, breathing is something that is fascinated yogis for thousands of years because it happens without us thinking most of the time. But when you manipulate it, it can change how you feel. Right. And so that was my first thought was just breathe. Like you just got to keep the air moving in and out so that you can then move on to the next step and figure out what to do next. Mm. Um, I was incredibly lucky that I was here in Cleveland and we had the Cleveland Clinic because the next day he had the, con- the extra confirmatory scans and he had the tumor removed the next day. We um, then had a, and he had a lumbar puncture. We then had a horrible week where you, we waited while they staged the cancer and looked to see if it had gone into any of his other organs mm. and into his bones. And they then put a port in so that he could have the chemotherapy. Um, and that, that week was freaking horrible, just no. waiting, right? Um, it turned out that it was, it was contained in his abdomen, which was great, and the surgery had removed it. He then went through chemo, um, which is one of the most brutal things to watch somebody go through because it basically, it's designed to kill you. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, he lost over a quarter of his body weight. He lost all of his hair. He, you know, his mouth sores in his mouth. You know, he'd scream with pain as he'd urinate out the chemotherapy drugs. What kept me together during that was being incredibly present with him when I was with him. Mm. Having my, my parent, my mother was on a plane within six hours of his diagnosis and my father two days later, and they rearranged their lives and spent three months living with us. Wow. And we made, yeah, uh, that's the kind of family I come from. Huh. And um, we made the decision that he would never be in the hospital on his own because there are a lot of children, you know, whose parents had driven six hours away and they were going to lose their job. You know, we made the decision that he was never going to be alone in the hospital. Mm. Um, so it was either me, my then husband or my mother or father who were always with him at all times. Yeah. Wow. And what I really discovered during that was a being incredibly present to him, but I really had to learn how to serve myself. And I initially struggled with that and I served him and I served his older brother who was four and I served my husband and I meditated every day and I rolled my yoga mat out in the hospital hallways at 5am every day before they would start the 6am rounds. But I still was not good enough at really prioritizing myself. Mm. That's what really led me down the path of becoming the coach I am today was realizing was struggling getting frustrated with the Western doctors going, I don't know what's wrong with you. Maybe take a pill and me going, yeah, no, I'm not going to take a pill when you don't understand why. Yeah. Um, and me thinking and finding, deciding I needed to find a better holistic way of healing myself. Mm -hmm. But you know, my journey with my son, Jamie really taught me to be grateful <laughs> for the moments we have to not obsess about the small stuff. Like if you want to go to school in your unicorn pajamas, you go right ahead, baby the world is not going to end. <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah, well, absolutely. That's incredible. And, and how instrumental do you think it was for your mental health to know that you don't have to go through this alone? It doesn't just have to be you and Jamie and, and his uh, older son or brother, excuse me. It can be you and then your mom and dad and the support that they brought with you. Oh, that was huge. And what was really fascinating to me was I'd been living in Ohio for about a year and we didn't really know our neighbors that well because we'd been, you know, we had two little boys and I was trying to build my business and my husband was trying to get tenure and we were just sort of, you know, in the throes of life. And the first two weeks after the diagnosis, somebody dropped, somebody from our neighborhood dropped off a home cooked meal for me, my mom, my dad, my husband and my, uh, my older son mm. every single day for two weeks. Strangers, people we'd never met who lived in our community. Wow. And that just blew my mind that sense of my community rising up, even though they didn't know me, mm. they didn't know anything about me. And, 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 you know, doing something so loving as providing food. And it, and I had this real thought of, you know, if I was in London, yes, I'd have all my friends around me and people I'd known all my life, but I bet you people wouldn't be dropping off home cooked meals at my front door like that. Yeah. Wow. And uh, that's, I mean, that's just incredible because again, I think unfortunately when people are dealing with things with low mental health, with really anything in life that happens to us, we all too often feel like we're alone, right? Mm -hmm. And our inability, our unwillingness to just share with a single person keeps us mm -hmm. locked in that Like mm -hmm. it's like a trap door. It's like, and it's like, mm -hmm. you can't get out unless you just do that one simple thing of just sharing. Right. So that's mm -hmm. just incredible again, for your parents to come all the way from, from London, you know, 
boom, just like that. And great that we're on the East Coast more, kind of, you said Midwest. I, I don't understand how people call Cleveland Midwest. I get it's in the middle, but, but anyhow, um, well, it's just great. And, and how, how is, you know, again, you, you mentioned that you've, uh, you're divorced uh, with kids, right? Uh, how was that kind of transition being in, you know, into a, being a single mother? I, myself, single father, know that the, you know, it can be a little bit more stressful at times. So how were you able to, you know, handle, handle life and handle yourself, manage yourself? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things that was initially really tough was that my ex-husband and I have different parenting styles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're in two houses, that becomes so much more obvious. Yeah. Um, so the initial struggle I felt for my, and my kids were 10, 8, and 4 when we separated and divorced. And they're now 16, 14, and 10. So it's coming up for six years now. Um, Christ, it'll be six years in two months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so that, that distinction was really hard for them. And I had to work really hard to hold on to the things that I felt really important, even if he was doing it differently mm. and that, you know, that that was okay. Yeah. You know? And so that was one of the pieces that I had to sort of navigate through. Another thing that we've really navigated well in co-parenting now as our kids are older is trying as much as possible to create the same rules in both houses wherever we can so that they're not transitioning too much. So, for example, when our oldest, who's 16 and a half, you know, started high school and obviously his social life exploded, you know, we had lots of conversations about curfews and what that would look like and how could we get on the same same page so he wasn't having one set of rules in my house and one set of rules in his dad's house mm. right so you know one of the things that I think has been really key to co-parenting is keeping the conversation going for the sake of the kids right. even you know when he does things that make me go so glad we're divorced and I don't have to live with you anymore <laughs> you know yeah. which he does a couple of times a year and I go Breathe, just breathe. <laughs> I don't have to live in that energy. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Thank you for confirming. Yay! Right. You know, we still make the effort. So, you know, we get to, we have shared dinner parties for our kids' birthday. Like during COVID, two of our kids had birthdays. Wow. You know, one week we had the dinner party at his house, you know, and he has a live in girlfriend. And so they cooked, you know. And then the next week for the other, one of our other kids' birthday parties, they all came to our house and we did it. And I arranged for everybody to come and do a drive by birthday mm -hmm. celebration. But, you know, so, you know, modeling for our children that we can still have conversations and be kind to each other, even if underneath we might think each other's, you know, might be an asshole or that we right. don't like all the decisions that we make, that we can still be connected and loving towards our children and share space with them, I think has been really key. Yeah. I personally have found it hard, you know, living in Cleveland, particularly where I live in Cleveland. It's, it's very kind of, you know, husband, wife, doctor, lawyer, Labrador, two cars, member of the country club, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I, as a, you know, outspoken, tattooed, pierced, self-employed, single woman, it's been hard for me to, you know, find romance, but uh -huh. you know, I, you know, right now it's about me serving my children and serving my clients. And really my, you know, my business is about, um, is really my baby, right? There's the thing, you know, like serving people is really what it's all about. That's, that's great. And, and going back to the, the relationship that you've been able to cultivate with your uh, former husband and the relationship again with the, the different, different dynamics that, you know, all co-parents are going to find themselves in. But was that 
healthy, it sounds like healthy type of uh, conversation or communication. Was it like that at the beginning when you guys first had divorced and what did it take for you guys to get to that place? No, we had a very toxic, unpleasant divorce. Um, and I, at, you know, at one point wasn't sure that we would ever get to this point. So, you know, uh, he walked out four times and the fourth time he walked out, I said, you're not coming back. And that was not something that he wanted to hear mm. because I'd taken him back three times. And I then filed for divorce. We looked at doing mediation and he wasn't producing, you know, bank statements. I said, let's just get all the finances on the table and then we'll go. And three, four months in, he still hadn't produced bank statements. So I called him up and I said, I filed for divorce because I want to put a clock on it. And that unleashed the beast. Mm -hmm. And so we had a really difficult 18 months and we got through the divorce. And what I would just say is time heals. Mm -hmm. One, two, you have to be intentional. You know, I actively made the decision to call him regularly because, you know, emails and texts, you, you can miss the emotions, you can misconstrue. So I actively, you know, get on the phone about, you know, one of our kids is feeling this way. Have you noticed this in your house too? Yeah. I'm noticing this kid is struggling with this subject. Have you noticed that too? Mm. You know, what about this friendship? Do you feel like this friendship is healthy or is making our child unhappy? You know, so I would always, it would be always be about the child, right? And how could we think about how we're parenting our children in a loving way, right? Mm. So that was something that was in, in, in required a lot of work from both of us to show up and keep plugging away at that mm -hmm. rather than walking away. And I think the second thing that for me is that I fundamentally believe that holding on to anger and holding on to sadness and holding on to, you know, how I've been done wrong or somebody in my life has been hurt just takes up too much of my goddamn fucking amazing mental real estate. Yeah. And I see my mind as like, like prime Manhattan, you know, or like LA waterfront real estate. Yeah. And if I take that up, we're sitting there going, my goddamn ex-husband, that guy who sent me that shitty message on Tinder, you know, that client who did that, that person who sneered at me, whatever it is. Like, I'm wasting that space that could be used for like supporting my clients, mm. you know, loving my friends, having fun with my kids, you know, reading a book. <laughs> yeah. Or again, it's all energy, right? And yeah. your energy where your focus goes is where your energy is going to flow. And if you can just, again, have that understanding, I can control this, all that sadness and our anger, it's all up in here and you can change that. Right. And, and I think that's just, you know, just so crucial in terms of co-parenting. And, and, you know, I found myself in, yeah, you know, a, a pretty toxic situation as well in terms of my divorce. And, you know, it took, I'd say roughly around the same time we'd had conversations. I came to you for advice on several different yeah. questions, you know, yeah. get a, a female's perspective on things and trying to analyze if I was being fucking crazy or if what was actually taking place was crazy. Who's the crazy right. one here? I need to know. And I needed you to help, you know, me identify that, you know, but um, yeah, I think again, just if we as co-parents can have that, you know, at the forefront of our behavior and our attitude towards our, you know, ex, that our kids are what matter most. And I think being able to separate me from your ex and me, uh, you know, as the children's father, or again, in your situation, uh, it's the same thing, but 
that needs to take place too, because I am the father of those kids. I might have some anger towards you and I might call you a name or something, but it doesn't change how I am as their father. Right. And I think unfortunately sometimes there's not that disassociation that needs to be taking place for healthy communication. Right. Right. And I think, you know, in terms of the mental health of our kids, you know, what's difficult about that is that they are half of each of us. Right. So, you know, if you're going to be shitting on the other one, they're thinking, are you shitting on me too? Mm. You know, and I think when one gets really emotionally riled up and I haven't been perfect and I've lost my shit about my ex in front of my kids and I've had to, you know, apologize to them and explain the context, you know, now that they're teenage, you know, they're older, I can explain the context of, you know, when this happened, this is why, this is the background that you might not know, which is why my, you know, my trigger level was much lower here than might initially appear obvious to you. Right. right? So for example, my ex-husband walked out from a family vacation place. There was his family vacation and left me in a house with his family and abandoned me with the children there. Right. So a big conversation was starting about this place and all, and, and I, and I lost it. And so I had to explain to the kids the reason why, conversations around this place and what happened there is so painful is that that's where your father walked out Mm. right so my baseline you know of you know this is a really fun place and you guys get to go there and I spent you know 16 years going to this vacation place too you know and and I have not been back in six years (laughs) unsurprisingly you know, that my trigger level was lower but I can have that conversation with them right and so I think you know when we think about them you know, it's really important to have those discussions with them. And when I lose my shit and, and, and I have to go and apologize to them, you know, initially I felt terrible guilt, mm. right? That I hadn't been the perfect mother. Yeah. But you know, the more I realized two things I think are so vital. One is that to be resilient, you have to experience some kind of trauma. And I don't want my kids to experience huge trauma, but the kind of trauma of going through the divorce and navigating all of that and my son's cancer and all of the other little traumas that they've had along the way, give them the tools. If my, if me and their father can, you know, can really show them like you can get through this and this is how you can get through this. You can go to therapy and we've taken our kids to therapy. You can talk to your friends. You can go for a run and burn off the physical, emotional aspect of this. And I can be humble and humiliated and say, and apologize and say, I'm so sorry mm. I said those shitty things about your dad. Yeah. Please, will you accept my apology for, you know, saying these cruel things? And the reason I said them was because of this. And, you know, can you forgive me? And can we have a conversation about that? That teaches them that it's okay to have the range of emotions, to feel sad, to feel happy, to lose your shit. And it doesn't mean that you're broken and it doesn't mean that you're not perfect. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, less than human. It means that you're real. Yeah. And, and how important so would you... Boxy, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. It's great. Because, I mean, again, it's right in line with, uh, with how I view life too. But I think, unfortunately, and I speak from my own experiences of how I believe things were withheld from me as a child growing up, you know, ex- experiencing the sexual abuse that I did at such a young age, I believe, after that, um, I don't know at what age it began that my family members decided to withhold information from me, but the, the fact is, is that it happened. So mm-hmm. I still had feelings towards the things that I later in life found out about, but I go back to those initial feelings that I would have had and how fake they almost, not fake, because what I would have been feeling would have been real, but I wasn't being told the truth. So how important do you think it is for parents, co-parents, all parents to speak truth? 
and be honest with their kids and not always hide things from them so that they can feel what's real and experience real emotions opposed to being led to feel something that yes is valid but stems from a lie you know right i mean i you know i'm not a child psychologist but i think that it's you know you have to also be aware of how old they are yeah right so you know explaining rape you know, to a 15 or 16 year old is a different conversation than explaining that to a seven year old or right. a four year old. Right. So I think, you know, initially I would say be, be mindful of how old your child is, you know, in terms of revealing the, the truth or right. what you understand the truth to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the angle that's really important. And, mm. you know, we have to watch as parents, you know, because my natural gut instinct is to be a hundred percent truthful yeah. because that's just the way I engage in the world pretty much about everything, but that won't necessarily serve my children when they're young. Mm. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Um, wow. It's just such so many incredible insights and good things that you've, uh, you've shared. Um, what would you say is like your number one, like your go-to in terms of, of self-care, self-love for yourself? Oh, picking just one, Jake. Fuck, that's hard. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but there is one. There's going to be one that, hey, if we ended this and you're like, oh, I need to do something, what are, what's, where, where are you headed first? So like a daily in, intentional practice for me that keeps me together is meditation. Uh, I've really, and, and, and I move every day, but I know that when I am in a state of huge emotional overwhelm and my emotional body and my emotional freedom feels, um, deregulated, I have to move because as we've all been like emotion, energy and motion. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I know that when I'm feeling that I have to move, if I yeah. don't, you know, journaling and talking about it, all of that has its place for me, but I have to physically move that energy out of me. So that's kind of, so I'm, I gave you two answers by sneaking in the intentional and the reactive there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's important for people to understand that there's never going to just be one avenue. There's never going to just be one tool, right? So it's about understanding that first and foremost, and then cultivating, uh, you know, this type of a relationship where you've got many tools and that's not going to happen from trying one thing and then it doesn't work and then being done. You've got to right. be willing to, you know, try things, not fail, learn, learn that yeah. this isn't for me and try the next thing. And then next thing you know, you've got six, seven tools right. that you can use to self regulate and self, you know, manage your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, everything. Um, and then the next question would be uh, like, what would you suggest in terms of if uh, reading a book, listening to a podcast or watching something, what would you say is one thing that you would suggest for, for anybody out there that maybe they're stepping onto this path and they need a little shove? What, what would you suggest? So pick the modality that makes most sense to you. We all learn differently would be the first thing I would say. So, you know, if you like to walk or run or bike, you know, listen and do that and take it in. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. I think Pema Chodron is also amazing. She, you know, is an American Buddhist nun who going through a divorce was dealing with a huge amount of anger mm. and couldn't figure out how to manage the anger she was dealing with. And so yeah. she discovered Buddhism that way. So I would go down those sorts of routes. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Rich Roll podcast. He's somebody who does deep 
intimate interviews with people about, you know, who they are and the journey they've been on. And he's very open and explicit about his, you know, navigation of alcoholism and addiction um, and, you know, struggling with his health and then discovering that, you know, a healthy plant-based way of living and, you know, becoming a, you know, the fittest man in America in his forties, you know, and doing triathlons in his fifties. Um, so I, you know, being, you know, we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So getting, you know, getting inspired by people, you know, listening to people, watching people, following people on Instagram who light your fire and don't go, oh, you know, you need to have a flat tummy to feel good about life, right? So finding the people and cultivating your you know, what you consume. And when I say consume, I don't just mean in your mouth, right? Like what yeah. you listen to, what you watch, everything. Create, cultivating a, you know, an input, your nourishment in a way that feeds your soul and inspires you to get off your ass and make your life better. Mm. Yeah. And then just, you know, I read every morning, I read a professional development book. Like I love, whoops, I love Darren Hardy too. Like the compound effect. Oh. You know, he just reminds you of the importance of, daily little changes mm. it doesn't have to be significant like you know like fog too you know like the micro habits we all know that just these tiny little changes will have massive effects in the long run mm. that's beautiful well uh that can be it and i usually like my guests to you know leave with one little bit of advice but i think this whole podcast was just non-stop advice and great you know, <laughs> insights again for how people can you know cultivate healthier habits routines um, and that's ultimately going to have a positive impact on their life. So in saying that, Tamsin, thank you so much uh, for joining me here today. I wish you nothing but the best and a grateful day. And for anybody listening, don't hesitate in leaving a comment or subscribing. And once you do that, it will give you much more access to all of my content across the Sports Epreneur platform. Real quick, though, before I go, before we go, where can uh, people find you if they wanted to? They can find me on um, LinkedIn, Tamsin Asta, Facebook. Tamsin Asta website, Tamsin Asta. Come hang out. I have a great Facebook group called Force of Habit TA where I dive into habits, provide inspiration. I go live all the time. We're doing a five day sleep challenge right now. I've done work from home. I did a work from home webinar in there. So full of content. We're creating playlists to motivate us. So find me online. Everything is Tamsin Asta, A S T O R. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time and I wish you a grateful day. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.